0: Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media: to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Now the, the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. I'm in. thanks for having me, guys. Do, do we need the mic? Surely we don't. We need it Okay, all right. No worries. Um, so thanks for having me, guys. It's wonderful to see you all. That's wonderful. It's wonderful um, to share in the new church. Uh, I can see it's still under construction. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, they asked me to talk about this idea of the holy, uh, understanding the Holy Trinity. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's a very big topic um within these slides that are about to come up uh it's uh i have some stuff about the trinity and some stuff about who christ is christology i think you guys are going to do that with someone else i guess and they're very interrelated um so because it's it's a huge topic um and one talk obviously is not gonna do anything it took hundreds of years of the greatest christian minds grappling and fighting about it and writing all these things about it so obviously um, we're not going to be able to get to the bottom of the holy trinity at least the intellectual side of it um tonight but i thought we can make a start you know um and to try to understand that the way that uh, do i just press across and this will go Uh, yes yeah great um, so I, I figure what we could do is talk about it uh, and think about it the way that the Bible has presented it to us. Okay, So the concept of the, the Trinity is something that the church um, over a long period of time developed as an idea, as a concept. And then they eventually crystallized it into a few formulations and sentences and ideas that we can understand. And... Um, but this, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about here, Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? That idea, and the way that the Trinity kind of, how we define it, developed, and the Church articulated it in a certain way. Um, but it wasn't new. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came from within a body of ideas that the Scripture had already given, and had been revealed over time. So... <clears throat> And it's revealed in the form of the Bible, which is in the form of a story, you know? So the Bible is written as one big story from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's one book, one story, one idea that's running throughout the whole thing. And as you read it, or as the centuries passed and the the church collated it, um, it became more and more understood. Because once the character of Christ came and then he died and resurrected, and did all these things, and the church interpreted him suddenly, everything in the Bible made sense, everything in the Old Testament made sense, everything in the New Testament made sense, and so the one book became a seamless book you know think about it in, in um, from an, uh, as an analogy it 's just an analogy so but you know you read Lord of the Rings, you know you read Volume One, you know, and then you have a bit of an idea. Then you read volume two and then starting to put the story together volume three fills it all out and then to really understand it all what do you have to read the hobbit you know if you don't read the hobbit then you've got no idea what's happening with the lord of the rings what's this ring and going on and whatever or you just read the the do you understand what i mean so it all makes sense as one big story okay and even if prequel or sequel or whatever and so the bible is that way it's one big story and that story reveals God to us okay and so God revealed himself to humanity through the Bible in uh, in a defined way in a very specifically defined way it's not unintentional the way that God had revealed himself and so when we talk about the Trinity Father Son Holy Spirit that was revealed to us in a particular way and so we might just try to think about that story and we'll just tell the story of salvation and kind of um, reach um, certain parts of that story as we go along okay it would be m- very beneficial to me if you guys ask questions interact think uh, if you just sit and watch me then I'll just talk until my time is up and then see you later okay <laughs> so uh, I won't force you to talk but I'd like it if you did um, <clears throat> and I think you guys would like it too so <coughs> Did the Jews hear about anything to the with Holy Spirit in the Old Testament during the prophetic times before Christ came? So good question. We'll jump to gun but yeah, I'll answer your question. No, no, no. that's why I just asked you to do that. <laughs> so uh insure short, insure short, and we'll get there, but uh they had uh, at some <coughs> they had some idea there was glimpses of the holy spirit glimpses there was manifestations of christ there was glimpses of the holy spirit and the father was in your face and we'll talk about that we'll talk about that that gradual revelation that piece by piece so that they can understand god properly so they didn't just go down their own agenda of thinking and just you know, put God in whatever box they felt like putting him in which is what the world was doing at the time so the story goes God created man you know, it's very basic God created man and we're not going to talk about the mechanism of God's creation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're not going to go on about you know, creationism versus evolutionism all that kind of stuff which everyone likes to get bogged down into and then man who was in the image and likeness of God fell or chose to move away from God by sinning Okay, and by doing that, and they had the breath of God in them. They were made in the image and likeness of God, and then they moved away. And the consequence, and they were made very good, you know. So they're very good, and then as they moved away in sin uh, through Adam and Eve, he said to them, "If you do that, you're going to surely die." And they did that. Therefore, they surely died, and the pronunciation of death happened to them. And basically, what happened to them? is they started to move away from the image and likeness of God. Okay? We were made in the image and likeness of God. They started to move further and further away from that image and likeness of God which was embedded in them by the very nature of their creation because God had breathed his life into them. Okay? So man is sent out of the garden. But, after they are sent out, or as they are being sent out, there is these glimpses of hope That god gives them so he pronounces death he sends them out but he gives them a glimmer of hope and he there's you know the church has always or the the jewish people always understood this this verse in in the beginning of genesis he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel about man and the beast right as in there's going to be this war between satan and man and but you will bruise his um head you know, and then within that there's the glimmer of hope that there is some hope that they're going to be redeemed from this plight that they're in this death and the moving away from the image and likeness of God um, and we also get very early on if you read the Bible carefully very early on you get glimpses of God that are not easy to understand right? so he's talking about himself in the plural let us make man in our image. And you read that and you think, well, what's going on there? And many people have interpreted it in many different ways. You know, divine counsel and many different beings up there. And all God is, you know, narcissistic. That us, like a king, you know. But we read it and we think, well, what's going on there? Is God narcissistic? Is there a divine counsel? What's going on? But you get these glimpses. Okay, alternating between singular and plural. And it's not the last time you'll see that. But it starts very, very early on. <clears throat> then the story then hones in on... I mean, man keeps falling. But hones in on this family that God then chooses to continue his story through. Okay, That's the story of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. And then the judges and then the kings. And that story just goes for centuries okay that story tells the story of a family or a people that god has chosen to continue his story of salvation you know because we said that all we know so far is that humans are in a bad situation and then we go into this story of this israelite people and within that story the people keep falling bang one after the other noah and babylon and uh Babel and whatever there's millions of falls bang 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 and always they're restored and within that story there's all these little promises heaps of little promises constantly along that way and so there is this feeling that there's gonna they're gonna be restored somehow but they keep falling away and God starts again and then they fall and they starts again and they fall and God keeps trying and trying and trying. So I've got the examples up there of when he starts again and then they fall over and over and over again. Okay? And so that's the story um, throughout the Old Testament. And again, we're not going into details, but that's basically the structure of the whole Old Testament. All the while, as the story goes on, there's a promise. You know, in between, there's all these little promises along the way. For example, in... Um, in I think this is in Samuel, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Your throne shall be established forever you know and this is in Samuel, but it 's also throughout the prophets, throughout the psalms, throughout the, everything it 's just sprinkled you know you imagine you 're reading this story you know as I said you 're reading the Lord of the Rings, and then they 're chucking in it 's doom and gloom and then there 's hope. Gandalf you know, comes in and does whatever he does. You know. That's, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but that's kind of what's happening in the story. And when you read it, you actually get that feeling. You get this feeling that there's hope along the way. Um, and then you start getting this, these sprinkles of, well, this hope is gonna come through the hands of someone maybe an anointed figure the messiah maybe a son of david maybe something or other there's there's some terms son of man and all these terms are just thrown in throughout the whole old testament and so what you're gathering is a general feeling okay that's what they're gathering and it's been interpreted by the jews over centuries but that's what's been happening throughout the whole story and then Again, through this story that's being, and uh, that you know, the people have fallen and God's gonna redeem them one day, and how He's gonna redeem them, and might be through a man, etc., etc., you also get a clear understanding of who God is, right? So, throughout this whole thing, He's telling how He's gonna save them and they might be restored one day, but He's also revealing Himself to them. And the primary characteristic of God in the Old Testament is what? There's one characteristic he hops on and on and on and on about. And he punishes them badly if they do anything to ruin this Im- the image of this characteristic. Which is what? It's on the streets, it's not hard. Hmm? The Lord is one. The Lord is one. And then they try and worship other idols, and he says, The Lord is one, and he'll destroy them. And he'll put down a rebellion. And he'll, he'll kill hundreds at a time because they're worshipping other gods. Or they turned, uh, the golden, they, they turned all their gold into a golden calf. And he'll do, so you have these incidences where they, they're messing up with that understanding and then God punishes and comes down hard on them. He says, the Lord, your God, is one. You will not worship anyone other than me. Okay. there's heaps of spiritual lessons we could tangent off there but he's clear on that concept so in Deuteronomy chapter 6 it says hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength ok What well, we also know about this God who is one we also know that he cannot be seen so in, in Exodus he says you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then if you, if, if, if you hone in on some of these incidences where people tr- almost see God's face, they panic. You know, so uh, there's a famous incident where Samson's parents, God appears to them. The angel of the Lord appears to them. And then the husband, who's I think a bit weaker in the faith than the wife, says oh my god god just speak to us <gasps> we're gonna die we're about to die because we just saw the face of god and what does his wife say oh no i think maybe the other way around coming which one of them one of them panicked the other one didn't and then he said, if we're gonna die we'll be dead already just calm down just calm down and they lived so somehow they saw god and lived so god can't be seen that's clear but you can see god sometimes and so you see how there's these glimpses of how God is one, but somehow he's revealing something else about his character throughout the whole Old Testament that is not yet understood to them. Right? Christians took many years to articulate it, but the concept is there. Okay? Does that make sense? You see where I'm getting at here? See how it's all revealed through the story? <coughs> Okay, And so you don't just have that one, I gave that one incident with Samson's parents. But there's heaps of them. Heaps of these very interesting stories where someone, this figure just turns up. And this figure is not a typical angel, not a typical human. He's functioning differently. He's referred to differently. He's honored differently. And they, they're living. They're not dying. You know? And so I've got a list it's there. I'm not going to go into them but there's stacks of them Daniel in the fiery furnace and when Moses is sitting under the tree and um, when, when they're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and etc, etc, etc okay, there's heaps of them and they all see this figure and they all don't die okay so somehow there's this um, other, I don't know side to God in the Old Testament other person to God in the Old Testament. That they don't yet fully understand. But we, as we read the story, we're starting to understand. or We're starting to get a feeling of. right, <clears throat> But it's not clear to us yet. And then, and then we move to what, uh, Fred's question. Okay. By the way, what am I talking about here? This character that you can see and live. Who happens to be God but is not really God. Or, or is God. I won't say he's not really God. Is God. But you can see him and live. It's Christ so you've got the Angel of the Lord the Angel of the Lord but um, but he's somehow God too like that's exactly right so they use different t- son of man they use Son of man angels he looks like the angel of the Lord he looks like the like one like the Son of God. You see, uh, uh, I give you more convincing example is what the burning bush. The burning bush is really convincing because they turn aside and says the Lord appeared to them, and they turn aside, and then there's a tree that's flaming. Well, that's not the Lord. And then they say, take off feet because the ground is take off your shoes because the ground is holy. And then he's talking to the angel, or he's talking to the the bush, and he says, who sent me? And the bush says, I am has sent you. Tell them I am has sent you. And what's I am? It's the name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. You know, and then Jesus refers to himself as I am in the New Testament so these stories are all throughout some of them are really more obvious but there's stacks of them there's stacks of them throughout the Old Testament and so there is this, this, this real sense that um, God can be seen can manifest in front of them but at the same time he can't be seen you know there's the incidences where, you know, as we said, he has to look at the back. And if you see my face, you will die and all these things. He cannot behold the glory of God. And Moses, when he comes down from the mountain, his face is shining too much. So people can't look into his face. So it's very interesting. But the point is, what the Bible is, is giving us is it's starting to make us understand the, 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 the more complex nature of God. But it still wants us to focus on the oneness of God. It doesn't want us to lose the oneness of God. Um, And I'll explain in a minute um, why that's so important. Yeah. Why is it, why is I am, who I am, not translated as Yahweh? In which setting? Because it is Yahweh. Yes. I am is basically the English version of Yahweh. In Arabic, it's Anahol. Right? Why is it translated as Yahweh? Because in the Old Testament, in fact, the, the Bible that we have, the translation we have, Yahweh is not the of the right? In Arabic? English? No, in English no. They ta- they translate it Lord. Yeah. They translate it Lord typically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just the translation thing. Yeah. That's just how they translate it. But in, in if you read a Hebrew Bible, yeah. it's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they use the the in the, what, what is it the, in the consonants. Bible, the Greek, what is it for? Uh, in the New Testament yeah. they'll they translate it Kyrios. Curios, yeah. yeah, which is Lord. So does he say when he says, "I am who I am"? does he say, "Curious." No. Right. I so am ego in me. I am. He says, "I am," and he's referring specifically back to that right. that specific incident. But though that that Yahweh is a series of uh, Hebrew consonants, yes. and they don't have the vowels in between, and uh, so that, that's just how they wrote wrote. I'm not a linguist, so. Okay. But that's basically what happened, and then they translated it as Lord, and it just became a, 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 a typical translation. Um, but the meaning is the same. Um, <clears throat> so then, we also get, but much more vaguely, as uh, Fred asked at the beginning, uh, glimpses of the Holy Spirit. So there's also glimpses of, of um, the Spirit of God, you know, or the breath of God, or the wind of God, or. The, um, there's another one there as well but, uh, and so I've got a few examples up there but it's more vague, it's not concrete and it's very hard to develop a theology of but it's there in the Old Testament but it develops much more in the New Testament, so the main thing that you want to gather from the Old Testament is that God is one, and why, why is it so important and why could he not yet reveal his nature as a triune God in the old testament why do you think that that maybe god couldn't reveal himself in that way at that time yeah i think so too that not, not just, just the pagan world the the ancient near east the, the everything was polytheistic they're worshipping gods they're worshipping the storms they're worshipping um war they're worshipping sexuality they're worshipping anything so if he, if he revealed himself as triune, automatically they would have gone straight polytheistic, right? And already the New Testament, they, they, they almost did that many times. So God wanted to boil it down to oneness. Remember the oneness. But he gave them, an, uh, he gave them glimpses of something more than that. And it only became fully clear or fully understandable when? Yeah, in the person of Jesus Christ. When Christ came, it became understandable. And he revealed himself. And that's why he was such a controversial figure. Right? Because he called himself by all these terms. But what's the one term he never used for himself? Yeah. What is it? I am God. You know you always wonder when you're a kid growing up in Sunday school. Why didn't God, why didn't Jesus just say it? Why didn't he just say I'm God? He didn't stop implying it. He didn't stop implying it, but he never said it. You know what I mean? Like you know how frustrating that would be to listen to someone saying, like you know what I mean? Like you're saying, "Well, oh, who's the priest of the church? Well, he, he looks like me. <laughs> you know, um, he dresses. His name is sort of like Paul. You know, and you're going round and round in circles. You know, he, he's not doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, joking, but. That's kind of what he did. You know, he, he didn't never said I am God, but he used every other way of saying it. So, as a blind man, when he opened the eyes of the blind man, the end of that conversation, when the blind man says to Jesus, Who is he that I may worship him? And Jesus says to him, I who speak to you am he. Yeah, but he said, The Son of Man. He never said, God, oh, so God he healed you yeah so he said the son of man healed you or something like that he would never said god that's the point he never did he always used expression there is some favorite expressions and and when you analyze them back through the old testament you are like what else can he possibly mean but he never used the expression and there's people have thought about this a lot why and why and why but i think it's clear because they would have misunderstood you know the the term God was so loaded for Jewish people and they were so monotheistic right so you had the pagan world which is so polytheistic and you have the Jews who are so monotheistic that both of them would have skewed the idea of God if he didn't put it in the language that he needed to put it into for them for humans to understand properly or to be revealed to them properly so then he used every other reference under the Sun you know I give you a really nice example um, so we're going to go into this, but uh, since doing this, I've, I've I've learned some other examples which are more vague but really nice, right? So, for example, there's there's I got this off a guy called Richard Hayes. He he was analysing um, Mark chapter. I can't remember what chapter. It could be chapter six. And he, it's where they're on the water, uh, they're crossing and there's a storm, and then they're panicking, and then Jesus is walking on the water next to them. And then they look at Jesus and, and then it says the, f- the funniest expression that Jesus would have passed them by. Right? So he would have walked straight past them. Funny expression, you know. Um, and, and, and Hayes says, well, early church commentators, they all come with funny ex- ex- explanations of why he would have passed them by. But he says if you read it a little bit more closely, He says, look way back in Job chapter, I can't remember, 9 or something like that. And there's this, um, we're not going to read it now, but basically there's this doxology in Job chapter 9 talking about the God who is standing on the waters and the land and he would pass you by if you didn't notice him. You know, talking about the power of God and the care of God. And so when Mark is writing that and Jesus would have passed them by, he's, according to Hayes, he's referring back to this incident in Job where God is being spoken about. So Jesus is being spoke about as God. And that is all throughout the whole of the New Testament. The whole time, the, the, self, the titles that he used, I am, before Abraham was, I am. And the son of man is this. You will see the Son of Man. All these expressions that he uses of himself. My Father, I one and all these expressions. He is pointing, he's referring to the God of the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm the God of the Old Testament. I am one with the God of the Old Testament. Um, And so the whole New Testament is revealing that side of God to us. Or that, that person of God to us. Does that make sense? Who is the second person of the Trinity. So now we've got clearly from the Old Testament the first person of the Trinity is the Father. And then we have clearly now in the New Testament the second person. There's millions and millions of examples which we could go into. But we're not going to go into them because you just have to read the Bible yourselves. Okay. Um, And so that's why I said there's heaps of expressions. Okay. And so these are are self-designated claims. And um, because of these claims he gets himself killed. So actually even though many people later on say "Well, did jesus really say that about himself is that what he really meant even at the time it was well understood what he meant because they said you're making yourself equal to god and then they killed him blasphemy blasphemy what you're saying is blasphemy never said i'm god but still they call it blasphemy all the time so it was well understood to them at that time what he was saying about himself whether it's true or not is a whole other story but that's what he was saying about himself that's what the New Testament authors were saying about Jesus. Um, and he also starts to talk about more and more, especially if you read John's Gospel, the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this entity of the Holy Spirit who is going to be very, very active, who is distinct from himself. You know, he says that quite clearly. <clears throat> and so once he dies. Jesus, so he gets himself killed with his claims. Okay. And then they're wondering, is he really God? Oh, you know, he said he's God and all these things. But then he resurrects and it, it's, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And then that message becomes a, the good news needs to be spread. So the church has a job to do. But the church does that very specifically through um, the Holy Spirit. And then the, the the book of Acts, which tells the story of this explosion of this message. The whole, you know, we call it. What do we call the Acts? Do anyone know the actual name of it, or what we tend to call it? The following of St. Luke's gospel. Yeah, another way of saying it. The Acts of the Apostles. You know, we just did the Apostles fast and feast. But actually, if you read it, who's the one acting throughout the whole thing? Mm, yeah, he is. Yeah, who's the one acting? The Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. If you read it a bit more carefully, okay. Um So you read phrases like then the Spirit said to Philip. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, They passed through Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. So who's the puppet master? It's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is being revealed clearly in Acts. But how does Acts end? What's the final word of Acts? Well, we know what it's not. What's it not? It's not what... I actually don't know what the last word is. I just, I just know what it's not. It's not Amen. It's not Amen. Why? Does the, why did, does the church not put Amen at the end of Acts? Because it's ongoing. It's ongoing. You know, when we do... Um, the during the liturgy the priest goes around and he does the incense during the, the book of Acts and you do like a, the way that the, the priest walks around the church is he goes to uh, which side first the, the, the right hand side then he goes to the left hand side then he walks up the church and he stops halfway right it's very muted and then he goes straight back why does he do that because the work is only half done this work is still to be done you know and so um it's good to pray at that moment you know all of us that please lord let us continue as we're reading acts to continue the work of the apostles that the holy spirit has started and so the holy spirit has been revealed in that way but he's continually being revealed in through and through the church okay and that's how the story so i gave all of this to show you how the story um, reveals this idea of the Trinity. And you don't need to really get so bogged down in theological catchphrases, right? The story itself has it all there. And when you read the story, you start to understand it more and more. God reveals this to us. There is catchphrases, and we can go through some of the catchphrases if you like. But they're not the important stuff. What's important is God is revealing Himself to us in a way that He wants us to understand Him, and so one, you have to read the Bible, you have to read it thoughtfully um, to understand the story, and number two, you will see Him reveal Himself to us the way He wants to reveal Himself to us. Okay, it's no good just trying to get be theologian without um, in dealing with God in the way that He wants to be dealt with. Um, So. Anyway, theologically, the uh, St. Gregory of that he says this is about, the, um, about what I just talked about. <clears throat> the Old Testament proclaimed the Father openly and the Son more obscurely. The new manifested the Son and suggested the deity of the Spirit. Now the Spirit himself dwells among us and supplies us with the clearer demonstration of himself. But that by gradual additions, the light of the Trinity might shine upon the more illuminated. For this reason it was, I think, that he gradually came to dwell in the disciples, measuring himself out to them according to their capacity to receive him. And indeed, it is by little and little that he is declared by Jesus, as you will learn for yourself if you will read more carefully. So that's back to my point of it must be revealed to you personally. As I said, we're not going to capture the whole topic here in in half an hour. This is something that God reveals uh and and so saint gregory is saying and this will be clear to you if you just pick up your bibles and read it you know just pick up your bibles and read it um <clears throat> how much time do i have left i mean can we, do, we, do you want to stop there or i'm talk all night if you want but <laughs> um so, I mean, the next thing we're going to talk about, you know, anyway, we don't have to talk about that. So it's trying to answer the question of who is Christ amongst all this chaos. And then we're not going to talk about that. Um, that's the Holy Spirit. And then, so then, basically, the way I, I did it is that we talk about then placing each person within the Trinity and how we theologically understand that. Um, and then finally, just understanding the Trinity, uh, some analogies are the best way of trying to grapple with some of the theological side of it, but we don't have to do it. Sure. Can I ask about the origin of the word hypostasis? Oh, so you you're a linguist. Why do you the three of them Yeah, so... Why hyper, not parastasis? I don't know. I'm, I'm not a linguist, I don't know why they picked hyper, but all I know is the word hypostasis. It, um, has a complex history right so originally huh yeah anyway it was misunderstood and then the Cappadocian fathers and some of the early fathers went and said no guys we need to clarify our terminology a little bit and they said because for example I just learned this recently actually that the word homoousios which is the same essence which is what we have in the creed you know or consubstantial or whatever word you has now been Interesting. translated Interesting yeah basically that word which we we like we hang a lot on that word now was prior to the Cappadocian fathers mm-hmm. was uh, rejected by the church as anathema heresy but then later on because there was confusion between groups they came and re-clarified it's right, let's, let's three persons three hypostases, one essence so if you want to get into the details of those words, you need someone far more educated than me to go through bit by bit and say, well, well this father said this, and this what they understood in the 200s, this is how they understood in the 300s, this is how they understood in the 400s, and et cetera. That's right, initially. That's why it was got rejected to begin with. And then when the term itself could mean something that they meant, because the words are not what matters, it's the concepts. So when they were relating it to pagan ideas, or uh, ideas that, that were counter to Christianity, it was rejected. But then, later on, when they said, well, actually, this term captures our meaning really well, when you think about it like this, then, yes, we take it. And then they hang everything on it basically you that's right so you could probably explain it better than me but that's that's exa- exactly what happened i got a quote for that Oh, this one all right up there in front of you okay okay so saint gregory the all right so I'll, this is one of my favorite quotes okay about the Holy Spirit, right? This is, he, he's talking at the time in the context of, um, there's controversy, people are saying the Holy Spirit's not God, right? So they're, they're, they're subordinating the Holy Spirit. So he says this because he's, he gets very upset with his good mate, St. Basil, who St. Basil uses funny language to say that the Holy Spirit is equal to God, but doesn't actually say that the Holy Spirit is God. So Gregory, you know, uh, like his you know, heart, of, heart like a lion, you know, he says... I'm sick of this, and this needs to be said properly. And he says, this is, what, this is what he says. As to the Spirit, I listen well. We profess the Spirit as God. I repeat, you are my God. And for the third time I shout, the Spirit is God. Until this day, nothing has shaken the cosmos as greatly as the audacity with which we proclaim the Spirit as God. You know, So he, he just, bang. And, and he says this, he says, because my name... I'm a nobody. He's not a nobody. Obviously, it's Gregor. But at the time, he's like, Basil's this guy. I'm a nobody. I'll say it. If you're too scared to say it, I'll say it. You know, I'll take all the heat for it. And he comes out and says this. And he actually fought with Basil quite a bit about it. Um, And then, so to answer your question then, now that we've clarified Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it's a bit confusing, which one are you praying to? This is the way that he describes it. Okay, he says, no sooner do I place before my mind the one Then I'm surrounded by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish the three than I'm brought back to the one. When I join the three in a single thought, I behold a single flame. And yet I am neither able to divide nor analyze the unified light. You know. So he's saying he's he's he goes back and forth. The second he thinks about God as one, he sees the three persons. The second he sees three persons, he sees The unity of the three and i guess one of the best ways to think about it and then we'll talk about specifically some details because you know the instruction just to answer your question a bit more specifically um jesus says uh, whatever you ask in my name will be given to you so he says specifically ask in his name but ask who in his name are you asking jesus for for Are are asking the father in his name and then he says uh, a son uh, sorry a father will give you guys ask your bad parents for things and would if you asked for bread would he give you a stone if you ask for a fish would he give you a serpent well how much more would your father in heaven give you what well, the holy spirit so yes specifically you're meant to ask for the holy spirit and he'll give you the holy spirit right so you're meant to ask for the holy spirit you know Without baptism. Well, it doesn't say that it just says <laughs> we'll give you the Holy Spirit he then l- later on there's, I mean we're not going into that discussion but <laughs> uh, but in that specific setting without complexifying the, 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 the concept the idea is we are meant to ask for the Holy Spirit we're meant to ask in the name of Jesus we're meant to ask the Father for these things but at the same time we're talking to Christ and the Holy Spirit is within us and awake in us and you know what I mean so it's, it's it's all. You're praying to God. And God is all three. And you're asking for the Spirit to be alive. You know, so actually, I'm uh, going on a bit of a tangent, but basically, and I heard once that when we talk, think about the concept of prayer, prayer is not something that is intuitive, nor is it something that you know how to do straight away. It's you're meant to learn and to be taught how to pray. And that's why the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us. And he started, right? Well, then when you pray, you say, and you ask for these things, and this is what you do, and this is how you're gonna say it, and you know what I mean, focus on this. And so, prayer, I think, is a lifelong thing that develops and sharpens and becomes better and better. You know, and so you can start your prayer by asking for material things, but slowly, slowly you start to realize, no, I should be asking for the Holy Spirit, or the fruits of the Holy Spirit, or, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's not an easy question to answer. You know, there's no, there's no right formula, but you start by praying, and then as you get closer and closer to God, I think it becomes more and more clear to you. And when you ask in Jesus' name, suddenly it's always answered because it's a promise. it does, it does. So that's why we think about it in terms. The best way of thinking about it is analogies right because analogies help you to understand complex ideas but in in things that are clear in your mind you know what I mean that's the whole idea of analogy idea that you you have seen so many things in your life that are very complex and weird but somehow in your mind it's really simple right and then you articulate it in formulaic terms and it's just confusing right so you think about for example this is an example from Father Mark right Father Mark this is his slide Um, think about a fire Right, a fire has three parts to it that are un—they're indivisible. You can't divide them. Right, you can't have fire without heat. It's non-existent. Right, maybe some weird other types of chemical fires and chemical concepts. No, actually, you can't. No, I'm talking about normal fire. Right, and then you can't have it without flames. There's no fire without flames. And again, you're gonna. Some people with say went they taught us in chemistry once. Actually, I don't remember. There's, invis- you know, there's fires that have no, no flame. And then we didn't tell the teacher um, that it was on fire, and she tried to move it. <laughs> 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 we got in trouble anyway. And you can't have fire without light, right? You can't have... Those three things are embedded within fire. They go together. They cannot be without, right? But each one is distinct. You know, light has photons and whatever. Flame is chemical reaction, and heat is... I don't know, Physicists physicist will tell you what heat is, right? Hmm? Energy. Energy, there you go, right? So each one is distinct, but they are hand in hand. And if you think about it, and the sun is probably a better way of thinking about it, the, the, I guess the, um, the flames are the source of the heat and the light, right? The flames are the source of the heat and the light. Does that make the flames greater then? Right? When we think about the Trinity, we think of the Father as the source of the, the son and the spirit. Okay? That's one way of thinking about it. Again, a better way, a better example is the sun. So the sun, when you think about it, you got the light, you got the heat, right? coming from the sun but the body of the sun is clearly the source you know with the flames you know, which one's the source they're all kind of uh, a bit more confusing right you say oh the timber's the source right oh no the timber, we're talking about fire so but the body of the sun is the source and the heat and the light come off it and so and then for example you can't say you can't look at the sun it's too bright right but you know the sun is out don't you how you can feel the heat You close your eyes. You can. You still know that the sun is out. You know. You can sense it. You you can. It's life-giving. You know. You can't have a tree growing without that light or that heat. So it's life-giving. The Holy Spirit is life-giving. Do you understand? See that analogy? The way that works. So you can understand a little bit more. Again, you got the tree. So uh, these are all the fathers use these analogies. It's not me coming up with these analogies, by the way. These are the church fathers in early church. The tree, you have the unseen part, which is the root system underneath the tree, which can be bigger than the tree itself. And they are the source of the visible tree. And then what comes off the tree which gives life? The fruit. All right, So that's another way. And it's one tree. You can't distinguish what is the tree, what's not the tree. <clears throat> Yeah, typically there's no iconography of the father and that's why it's historically it's not been done, but there is there is one example. Do you know it? Yeah, do you feel like uh, I don't know that one. Goes
1: of, like, old, yeah. So,
0: oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And there's another one which is Rublev's Trinity, the Russian one. Uh Mac-
1: the the oh, was the Michelangelo the Oh when Sten- the
0: Sistine Chapel, in that yeah. one, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's like a Catholic it's not an icon, it's just an art the um, Rublev's trinity is actually it's Abraham and the, the the three of them as they're walking to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah but when you read that story more closely more than likely that story is one is Christ and two angels it's um, but the way the story is written is us plural singular plural singular so some of the fathers have interpreted it as trinity some of the fathers um, have interpreted as, but I think it's more convincing that's it's Jesus. And, but anyway, you guys can read it and decide what you think. Um, so finally, we cannot get away from this idea of love. The Trinity is this bond of love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? And the thing that unites them is love. The characteristic that is their essence is love. And that's the, the, the characteristic that is being spread to us and that that's why he says you you will know you are my disciples by your love for one another because that's the characteristic that god is pouring on us that's sharing with us through this this triune god and so that father son and the spirit united by love but also god me man united by love glory be to everyone thank you very much for listening to me you guys have any more questions Actually, no, no, it is plural. I've, I've, I've listened to something recent, recently from like some Jewish people that knew Jew, Jew like a Hebrew, and they were saying that uh, there's this idea in the Old Testament. It's a complex idea that I'm not that across, but basically, this idea of the divine council, right? That there is um, heavenly beings, right? And that is there throughout the whole Old Testament. And in fact, we don't we not against that idea. You know, we've got the four living creatures, we've got um, the cherubim, the seraphim, we've got all these things. And so in, in that setting, when it's talking in plural, it's often been interpreted as the divine council, right? I don't know which, there is different examples of this plurality there. And so maybe one of them is singular, even though it looks to us as, as plural. Uh, and others are, uh, but it, it is definitely at some stages plural and so people have then thought about it in the context of divine counsel um, but of course that's not how we have interpreted it that's not how Christians have interpreted it so I'm, I'm presenting the Christian what about, um, the title of Son of so um. Uh, when he says things like uh, "my father and I," are, so he's claiming to be the son of God, and that that phrase, it's well understood by the Jewish people at that time to mean equal to God. He makes look, he makes himself equal to God, you know. So it was well understood in that way. In terms of why son father relationship, Saint Basil uh, talks about that, and he just says that that that's the it's it's a way of describing the relationship. Of the father to the son you know that's why that specific style of relationship is chosen is the way that a father and a son are one and they're the same and you know it's very easy to understand once if you've lived long enough say you work with someone and you're young enough to see how they function think behave look and then they get old enough they pass and their son grows up and they're exactly the same and the same thinking, and the same charisma, and the same, and the same, and the same. You see, all right, who's, who's greater, the Father or the Son? Well, actually, no, the Father's not greater than the Son. He just was there before, but He's not greater than. And so St. Basil talks about, for us to understand God, He just uses that language of Father and Son. Um, there is Old Testament references to uh, the Son through the Psalms and things like that, in the Son of The father son of god and things like that and that's what jesus is referring back to but actually his favorite expression is son of man it's more common that he uses son of man i hope that helps answer some of the very complex questions around this stuff thank you for listening to me yeah yeah yeah
1: The physical son. Well, oh, the son, Jesus. Uh, I guess Jesus. the Trinity exists yeah. even way before we existed, but way before the universe, when God created the universe and the heavens. The
0: yeah, so there was a...
1: The Son and God and the Father would the Trinity then.
0: Yeah, so there is... You're, you're, you're touching on a major controversy in the early church when, particularly the Arians but others as well, came and said well there was a time and the catchphrase the way Arius used to spread his heresy, so basically he just subordinated the son so the son is less than the father because he didn't exist from all eternity the son the father existed from all eternity but there was a time when the son didn't really exist he was the first creation of the father and he used a few verses from the psalms and things like that to justify his point and and the church rejected that but basically he he, he turned he, the way he did his theology and the way he was so popular was through hymns and songs and popular songs and his catchphrase was there was a time when the son was not there was a time when the son was not no so the church rejected that idea completely they said the son the 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 father son holy spirit uh uh, existed from all eternity the father exists from all eternity the son is begotten of the father from all eternity and the holy spirit proceeds from the father from all eternity and so that's the the language that we use because it's biblical language And as I said, when you think about the body of the sun, it's, that's one way of thinking about it because the sun can't exist. So the sun, whenever it existed, the light proceeded from it as it existed. There was not a time when the body was there, but the light didn't come off it. And there was not a time when the body was there and the the heat didn't proceed from it or whatever, which, I can't remember which ones, which the light proceeded and forgot it. But do you understand the concept? There is no body of the Son without those two entities attached with it. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's just that I've always felt like the the Trinity is kind of this development for us, right? Mm. To understand God. But if we don't exist, then why does God need to be a father, a son, and a father? So
0: so that's why I said, let's look at it from the point of view of a story as it's been revealed. Because often we think about it as, well... Now that we have Jesus, we need to somehow slot him in with God. Let's think of a, a, a formula where this works, and then the Holy Spirit, the the acts are right. Now let's slot him in, right? But what what we see when you read the story is that no, that the idea was always there, but it wasn't understood. But
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, why is it there? Why why does he need to be a Trinity?
0: Okay, so if we think, uh, so one, we'll never be able to answer that question. Right? We'll never be able to answer that question because that is who he is, right? That's he, and he's revealing who he is to us, right?
1: That's what I thought. Like, I thought the Trinity was for us, hmm.
0: not so much. No, no, no. It's him as he is, and he is revealing himself to us. Right. Just like, for example, um, I don't know how to describe it. So you got a little baby, right? While well, there's a baby, I, explain to him, I show him certain characteristics yeah. of myself he understands me fully but as he gets older i can reveal more and more of myself to him then he'll say well you never showed me that jealous side of yourself yeah, yeah. well no it was always there it's who i am but you you didn't understand it. you didn't understand that you were too too young or let's make it more positive let's not go jealous the the loving side you know the sacrificial side the whatever it is that you know, uh, we reveal to our children as they get off, the friendship side and whatever. So it, it's not that I withheld that from them. It's not that um, that's, I've changed myself to now clearly reveal myself or whatever. Or I'm just revealing to you um, for you to understand. How the, no, no, it's, this is who I am. But as you develop, as you get closer to me, you will see me as I am. That's what St. Paul says. You know, you, you, you see like with a, a veil, you know, but there'll be a time when the veil will be lifted, yeah. you know, and you'll be able to see and you'll know him as you are known, right? Knowing God as you are known because God knows you properly from inside. You'll be able to know God in that same way. So, but that's who he is. And so that revelation of the Trinity, the church has unpacked it for us. But that's who God has revealed himself to be. Not, he's just revealing bits and pieces and piecemeal and all this kind of stuff. Does that make sense? That's how the church would understand it. But we don't know why. Why? File, well, the, people have theorised. Yeah. Right? People have theorised in <laughs> <and> very complex, <laughs> in my view, not convoluted. I mean, they, they, they're thoughtful, but we don't know. You know, so the, the idea of you only have two, then there's no third reference point, and they get coming in. That's That's how people have thought about it. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But that's people philosophising and thinking and trying to... Um, come to a conclusion to that question but we don't know that that he is who he is the way C.S. Lewis puts it sometimes people say well why doesn't God do this and why doesn't God do that he says well um, he doesn't and if he did do that he'd be something other than God because we know that God is this way
1: can I just say one more thing like the son we know was came into the world begotten to save us right like that's what incarnated to save us he was begotten from all eternity Incarnated, sure yep. like that's the role of the sun that's what we know of the sun like the sun was there for us right so if god's been there if the sun's been there all eternity like you
0: kind of have to ask so if we didn't exist then why was there a sun like no would he have incarnated you mean or <laughs> no so he was there he existed existed he, 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 by he incarnated in, in, in yeah. human form yeah, so know, you, you, so you're talking about the person of Christ, but the the the, no, I'm about the son. yeah, managed, the Word of God, yeah, was pre-existent. He always was there with the Father. Yeah, to say why was there a Son, is the same as saying why was there a Father, why was there Holy Spirit, why is there God?
1: Oh, the Son was was there for us.
0: No, that's that's how you're articulating it. Yeah, yeah. but He is there. Uh, he's self-sufficient. He is, he is. Uh, I he is who he is. You know that's how. That's how g- the, 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 he. Who, who sent me? I am, who I am has sent you. You know what I mean. So he is self-sufficient, self-existent. Right. That's how. And so he just is. He is existence. That think about it more that way. He is existence. There is no existence outside of God. God is existence. And then he chose to then form physical creation time or the things that we understand but that's how the, that's how we would understand that he's not there for us no no in fact if you if you want to put it properly we are there for him yeah it's the other way around but we're yeah 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 but look the fact is god is not only there for us like
1: we are there for god like this father
0: no, I, I think you're yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not how we would put it. No. no that's not how we'd understand it or put it. But like a fa- like you know like for example, my existence isn't there for my children, right? But as far as they're concerned, my whole existence is for them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's how they see it because they've limited understanding of life, right? So dad is For us, the concept that I wouldn't be like listening to them 24 hours a day as they ask a question, automatically stopping all I do and listening to them and all these things is foreign to them. Why? Because I make them believe that. Because every time they talk, I I provide for them and I care for them and I'm there for them. and So I reveal that to them. But is my existence for them? I was pre-existent. I was there way before they were born. Um, My soul is long gone you know and worshiping god and doing all this and there's other work to do in the world just in bringing up my children all these things so am i there just for them no but am i there for them yes do you know what i mean just for them no for them yes i think i think you're stuck on just for them just for us he's not there just for us he just happens to be there for us i hope that helps i mean Yeah, yeah. You hmm. Can you explain that? Huh? I <laughs> look, I'll put it simply. The way Saint Augustine puts it, he says that your heart will always be restless outside of God. Yeah. But the second you are with God, you will be restful. So in a sense, we are made in the image and likeness of God. As we get closer and closer to Him, understand Him more and more, worship Him more and more, interact with Him more and more, you will be much more who you are meant to be. You'll be much more uh, what you are meant to be, and you'll be peaceful, and you'll be, and you have all those characteristics of God. You know, um, one uh, analogy I was using recently was this idea of, you know, a log and a fire. And you know when the fire catches onto the log, it shares its character with the log. So the, the heat of the fire is, you can't distinguish the log from the, the fire and the flames and the heat and the... And so you know when, when God, when the Holy Spirit is alive in us, when we get closer to God, and He gives us His character, He's giving us His character. We are um uh, alive in that way, in a much deeper way than without Him. So that's kind of a basic way of of putting it. Maybe I misunderstood. I thought even we were made for like to make Him happy, to stroke His ego. You know, that's the way that that pagans thought. You know, no, I don't. I, I think. It, uh, and there's a really great sermon by Amber Yusuf on the glory of God and the idea that says when you glorify God it's for your sake it's better for you and so when I say that it's more that we don't understand what's good for us you know? and so in that sense we're made for God but it's not I'm not making a theological statement I'm just saying I'm expressing an idea thank you for listening to me guys